Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music and a special welcome to those joining us online. Uh, it's All Souls Week and so the music is all completely miserable today. Um, but miserable music can often be uh, the best and we're looking at the tradition of the Requiem which <clears throat> has gone through a few changes over the centuries. Originally, of course, <clears throat> a mass in the Catholic Church offered for the repose of the soul or souls of one or more deceased persons. It gets its name from the introit of the liturgy for the dead in the Catholic Church, in the Catholic Mass, and the liturgy begins with the Latin words, requiem eternum dona eis domine, grant them eternal rest, O Lord. Musical settings of these requiems are um, uh, often uh, adapted in the modern era into a much broader setting than that traditional notion of a Catholic Mass that is praying that the soul may either go straight to heaven or their time in purgatory may be kept to an absolute minimum. Obviously, post-Reformation, that's quite a controversial doctrine. We'll talk about that a bit more in a moment. Um, but in the modern era, uh, requiems have been composed for a variety of circumstances, particularly uh, reflecting on very sad events in national life. We're going to start with a hymn, as we always do at Great Sacred Music, uh, and searching for a really miserable and appropriate hymn, we landed on the Crimen setting of uh, Lord's My Shepherd, not obviously part of the Catholic Mass, uh, Psalm 23. Uh, tune was written not as long ago as you sort of think of Crimen as going back to the Reformation, but it was actually only written uh, uh, just over 100 years ago by an Aberdeen tobacconist. So if there's any tobacconists here who are looking for a route out to a more appropriate way of making a living, then try writing hymn tunes. It's, uh, it could catch on. And this one caught on. Again, you think Crimen's been in our sort of national repertoire forever, but really it caught on when uh, the late Queen and Philip uh, had their wedding. And it was also uh, performed at the silver wedding of George VI and his Queen Elizabeth, uh, later known as the Queen Mother. Those two occasions imprinted this hymn on the national imagination where it's remained ever since. So we're going to remain seated if you'd like to find your, your um, leaflets. You can turn to the inside page. The voices will stand and lead us as we sing The Lord's My Shepherd.
traditional uh, requiem mass is really quite an awesome thing to behold. It's different from a conventional Catholic mass in a number of ways. Uh, there's no incense, there's no alleluias, uh, there's no sharing of the peace, there's no gloria, there's no creed. Um, vestments are black. Uh, we don't have any black vestments at uh, St. Martin's, so we don't get a chance to enjoy wearing black vestments. But you get the sense that, that you know, if you're really going to go for a, a really solemn requiem mass, you need the full, the full kit. Uh, I guess the most famous part of requiem mass is, is the sequence, the Dies Irae, uh, which is recited or sung before the gospel. It's an obligatory part of the original Requiem Mass, Rodea's uh, Irae, meaning Day of Wrath. And in a sense, it, it epitomizes the sense of the Mass that confronts the congregation uh, with the fearsome Day of Judgment and then appeals to Jesus for mercy. Vatican II, of course, swept uh, a fresh broom through the whole of the Catholic Church, including the liturgy, and rebranded the Requiem Mass as the Mass of the Resurrection, a rather more positive way of thinking about the whole thing. Now, we're going to explore uh, a number of different angles on the Requiem uh, together uh, for a few moments now, and we're going to start with uh, a very Anglican take on the whole tradition. Uh, in the 1662 prayer book, we find the, the famous funeral sentences uh, and made famous above all by Purcell's composition for the funeral of Queen Mary II. You remember William and Mary? Uh, uh, Queen Mary II died in 1695 and Purcell wrote some famous settings of those funeral settings, uh, uh, funeral sentences. And then in 2010, when Bob Chilcott wrote his Requiem, he chose to adopt those funeral sentences also, and it's Bob Chilcott's setting uh, of Thou Knowest, Lord, that we're going to hear now.
What's irreplaceable about a Requiem Mass is that it deals head-on with the three great themes that are relevant after death. Heaven, hell, and, if you're a Catholic, purgatory. Uh, and there are so many questions that are not answered by the Mass, but are entertained and embraced by the Mass. So if you think of heaven, is heaven somewhere you go straight to, or you're in some sort of holding pattern before you get there? Does everybody go there, or do just some people go there? Or does nobody go there and you, everyone goes into a holding pattern before, before going there? These are all unanswered questions. None of us knows the answer to them. Is hell permanent? Is it a matter of pain, or is it a matter of oblivion? Again, these are all the questions that are at the heart of the Requiem Mass, and then uh, purgatory, is purgatory some kind of refiner's fire, as, of, as often associated with some verses in Malachi? Uh, and then perhaps crucially for the Requiem Mass, can the prayers of the faithful affect someone's status in purgatory, uh, or, or are they irrelevant to God's judgment and mercy? Uh, can those prayers affect the nature uh, of purgatory, the outcome of purgatory, or even the duration of purgatory. So do you know what I'm going to do with all those questions? I'm not going to answer any of them now. I'm just going to say that's why the Requiem Mass is so powerful, because it goes to the heart of all of those, those questions. We're going to hear now um, certainly one of my favorite Requiem pieces, uh, Brahms's setting of Psalm 84. Why is Psalm 84 such a significant um, part of, uh, of, of a Requiem Mass? Well, I guess for two reasons. There's the official reason, because the opening words speak about finding a place in the house of the Lord, the temple in Jerusalem in the original setting, and how even a sparrow can find a place in that, in that home, which I think is a, is a beautiful picture, has captured people's imaginations for centuries. Uh, for me, though, I, I, I think of Psalm 84 as a psalm that talks about a journey that the pilgrim makes to Jerusalem, possibly once in a lifetime, and then talks also about the journey back. And, and for me, that captures that sense that we make a journey into this life, and then we make a journey back to who knows where. But, but it tells me uh, that the God who had the creativity to make us is not going to stop that create creativity at the moment of our death. So let's enjoy Brahms's setting of Psalm 84 together.
We're going to hear uh, two more pieces now in a very different genre by Eleanor Daly, who, like me, uh, was born in Ontario, uh, but unlike me, has lived most of her life in Toronto. Uh, and she, her contemporary requiem uh, has a habit, as, which you'll see in both of these pieces, of mixing uh, some classic texts from the Mass of the Dead with some uh, other more uh, contemporary texts. So the first one we're going to hear is um, a setting of a poem by Carolyn Stewart, uh, an English-born Canadian poet, uh, entitled, a very evocative title, The Stillness is a Room I've Moved Into. And then the second one takes another classic text uh, from the Mass of the Dead and then integrates into it the great Russian benediction made famous by John Henry Newman in his dream of Gerontius. You might know it. It starts with the words, go forth upon thy journey, uh, dear child of God. Let's enjoy these two now.
it's time for us to sing again now, and uh, we're going to sing the hymn Abide With Me, and for many of us this is such a familiar hymn that you can easily miss its subtleties and significance. Uh, the words abide with us come from the end of the Emmaus Road story where the disciples on the evening of the first Easter day uh, are walking away from Jerusalem and Jesus joins them and they don't know it's Jesus and he explains what the significance of his death and then of course his resurrection. And then when the, the night falls, they say, uh, you know, there's an inn here, let's get something to eat and they say, abide with us, for day is fast ending. And then, of course, he's made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Uh, such a significant story in the Gospels, and adapted by H.F. Light uh, exquisitely in this hymn. But again, because it's sung at cup finals and so on, it's become so familiar uh, that the subtlety of the way the hymn uh, conflates the end of the day as... The, uh, you know, a traditional metaphor for the end of our life with the notion of this is the end of Easter day so it's obviously the beginning of resurrection so it's the end of something it's the end of our life but the beginning of our resurrected life that the subtlety of all of that tends to get lost in the familiarity of the hymn but it won't be lost on you today uh, so we remain seated and the voices stand and lead us as we sing abide with me like never before
Well, we've come to the end of Great Sacred Music uh, for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. If uh, you've enjoyed yourself, there's an opportunity to make a donation in a retiring collection as you leave. We can accept cash and cards and all sorts of things. Uh, thank you for anything you're able to offer. Uh, do look out for uh, our next Choral Classics on Sunday afternoon, 3.15, and then next week uh, at the same time here on Thursday, we're going to be reflecting on remembrance. Now, uh, we're going to finish with Lead Kindly Light, John Henry Newman's uh, poem written when he was ill uh, off the coast of Italy in 1833 at the very beginning of the Oxford movement. Um, but perhaps the most poignant story about this, uh, what was originally a poem, became a hymn, and now we're going to hear in a setting by Howard Goodall, uh, came on Tuesday the 16th of February 1909 at West Stanley Colliery when 168 men and boys lost their lives as the result of two underground explosions. But there were, incredibly, still uh, a number of men alive underground, and a group of 34 men and boys had found a pocket of clean air. Some panicked, left the group, and died instantly after inhaling poison gas. But the remainder sat in almost total darkness for 14 hours, during which time one of them began humming this hymn. The rest of the miners joined in with uh, these words, lead kindly light amidst the encircling gloom, lead thou me on, the night is dark and I am far from home. And they were eventually rescued. Thanks for joining us.